0: Well, it's time to begin. It looks like this room was double booked and so people were scrambling out of here and we're not quite set up up here. So I'm just going to talk without my PowerPoint, if that's okay with you, until we can get it up. Um, let me ask you, though, how many of you have heard about Chase somewhere else and that's why you're here today? All right, Can I ask you where you heard about it? Northeast Congo. All right. How about you? We, uh, we started a Che program in the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic. Get more ideas on how to approve it. All right. Well, this is going to be an introduction, so it might be you ought to be up here where where I am, right? <laughs> uh, Northeast India. Northeast India. All right, Shika, When you see her, tell her hello. Long time friend. Somebody else? Yes. We're working on starting one with the Assembly of the God in Northeast Africa. Okay. You know Dwight and Heather? You don't. Dwight and Heather McConnell are AGC coordinators. Oh, I saw them. Based, based, the based in, yes. Yeah. So. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, I'm also from of Malawi, Africa. Malawi. All right, good. I was last week in Thailand at a Transform World Leadership Summit. And we're doing what's called a Million Village Challenge, uh, trying to mobilize the church globally into a million villages inside the 1040 window. If that sounds like an enormous task to you, it is. It's a God-given vision. But we think we have the resources and the network now uh, to make a run at it. And so I was in Thailand last week envisioning people from different nations, leaders from different nations, for ministry in the villages um, and at the end of our presentation day, there was a panel up in front, and I was one of four on the panel. And the moderator asked the question, okay, most of you here are from Southeast Asia, uh, so I know the question you have on your mind right now, does this work here? And so they turned to me, and I started to answer. And before I even got my answer out, a guy jumped up in the middle of the room uh, from Vietnam, And he pointed at me and he said, you trained me 20 years ago and we have ministry in 67 villages now. Um, I keep getting surprises like that. Uh, But uh, it's exciting to be where God is working. uh, And it's exciting to see the fruit and the impact of Che in communities. And if you haven't been to a Che community, that's where you need to go. and the people will speak for themselves about what God is doing. J is an integral ministry that integrates evangelism and discipleship and church planting with disease prevention or community health and community-based development. It's a, a broad-based development program. And so you may, may be asking, what are you here at a health conference for? If what you're doing is really broad-based development, well, let's think about that. If the problem is malnutrition, what is the solution? Ultimately, it's food production, um, and so we we can't separate those things. Um, we're training generalists, not specialists, who will go into a community, do community organization and mobilization, help the community to understand why they have some of the problems that they have. Um, identify local resources that can be used to apply to that problem, put together a program uh, on their own, mobilize, execute, and repeat that cycle. The way a CHE program is structured, I don't think we're going to get. Uh, okay. Uh, the way a CHE program is structured, when a program is mature, there will be health workers that are visiting in every home. These health workers are trained by what we call trainers. They're people from the church. They are the missionaries who go into the village, um, and they will spend a year with these. We call them chays, community health evangelists. But they'll teach them a lesson about clean water, and help them sanitize the drinking water in their own home. And then uh, they'll uh, they'll mobilize them to teach five or ten of their neighbors about the importance of clean water and help them sanitize their drinking water. And then they'll come back and learn about the living water and they'll go back to the same homes and they'll talk about the living water. When people come to Christ, small groups are formed. Those groups are discipleship groups. They can become disciple-making movements. They can be a traditional church plant. They can be cell of an existing church. Um, they, can, they can build an existing church. So it is truly integrated. And what is unique about CHE, and you'll like this as health professionals, right, is that it came out of the health sector instead of the development sector. While we focus on a lot of development, um, what's unique is that we have health workers going into homes, working with individual families, helping them change behaviors that improve their health and quality of life. Those health workers report to a committee in the community. The committee is elected by the community after a long process, sometimes as many as 18 months of awareness and mobilization. What the trainer from the outside does when he goes in is not um, come in and say, okay, I can see you need water. Um, we're going to dig a well. Uh, you do this. You do that. You do that. Um, that is donor-driven, outside-controlled, and not sustainable in the end. I can't tell you how many... I was in Liberia with Samaritan's Purse. They were flying me around Liberia on their helicopter, and uh, we had to stop and pick up some people who are doing a WASH program. You know what WASH is? Water um, and sanitation, something or other. But what they were doing was putting in wells, and so we're sitting on top of this mountain. The helicopter's beside us making all this noise. And and I'm asking, H- how's your WASH program going? And they said, terrible. I said, why? They said, we're putting in the wells. Either people aren't using them, they're breaking down, people aren't fixing them. Uh, it's been a waste of our time. And so I said, well, how can you change that? So they looked at me and they said, we need Che. We we need to do some community organization and awareness uh, and mobilization and let the community create their solution and execute in order for it to be sustainable. And that's, uh, I was in Laos uh, with some people way back in the jungles. And uh, we got to the village. There was a hand pump there put in by USAID. And um, it wasn't working. It took our team five minutes without tools to fix the pump. Um, And so we sat down with them afterwards and we said, well, um, how come you didn't fix the pump? They said, it wasn't our pump. I said, where are you getting your water? Oh, we're getting it across the street. You could see the microbes floating on the top of the water across the street in this little... Pond, you know, um, well, aren't you concerned about that? Oh, no. Our fathers, our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers, they drank from that water. Um, that's the issue. That's why it has to be locally owned and why we have to take the time to help people understand why they have some of the problems they have and to see a solution that they can execute themselves. And so that's really what we're trying to do. Uh, We want movements that sweep a countryside, not just uh, projects that change life in a single community. And that means that we have to be careful about what we bring in in terms of outside resource. If I bring a million dollars into a village to to develop it, then what's it going to take to develop the next village? It's going to take a million dollars. And we're not going to get to uh, solutions that sweep the countryside until we begin to recognize some core biblical principles that I want to share with you. I can't separate uh, theology and my faith from development because I actually believe that the Christian religion is the only true foundation for sustainable development does that sound radical if you were to travel with me to villages in rural places in uh sub-Saharan Africa where they claim to be evangelical Christians in North Africa where they're Muslims uh Indonesia southern Philippines Malaysia uh, M- M- Middle East you travel with me to uh to the Hindu world in South Asia The Buddhist world in Southeast Asia to the Catholic world in South uh, and Central America. What you find in rural villages is that most often the major religion is a veneer over animism. Now, what is animism? Animism is the belief that the assets and the resources in my community are controlled by spirits. The world is animated by spirits. So what is the name of the game? The name of the game is, buddy up to the good spirits and appease the bad spirits. Find that spirit that's going to give you a good harvest and you offer your sacrifices to them. And what happens is people in that kind of situation become passive about their own development because they don't control the resources. Now what does the Bible teach that changes all of that? that we are made in the image of God and what did God do when he made Adam and Eve? What's the first thing he said to them? Take dominion. dominion. We are stewards of the resources of the earth. And God has given them to us so that we, like him, can use our creative capacities and improve the quality of life. Now, we live in a broken world and when sin entered the world, uh, we're, set, we, we, we're working with a different set of problems. But the principle is still the same. I am made in the image of God and a steward of resources. So I remember walking through Papua New Guinea in the villages of uh, one district there. And seeing the transformation that had taken place. These were villages. I wish I could show you pictures. But these were villages that for uh, centuries. Oh, good. We got one Uh, one up anyway. These were villages that for centuries had no sense of aesthetics. Um, The the pigs played in the the dirt with the children. Uh, There were no uh, flower-strewn pathways or uh, anything like that. Um, and a team from Papua New Guinea took me through uh, a group of villages in the mountains. And everywhere we went, there were uh, flower-strewn pathways and there was uh, cleanliness and there was a pride about their community. And, and I said to the training team, these people have lived for centuries without a sense of aesthetics. What's happened here? You know what the trainer said to me? They have recovered their identity as made in the image of God and their vocation as stewards of resources. And this has become their garden. That is the beginning of development. We don't need to separate our Christian faith from our development or health activities. In fact, when we do, we weaken the interventions that we bring. One of the reasons in Papua New Guinea, they tried for 30 years to get people to use latrines. We came in, I was with a district health officer, um, and, and I asked him, why? You say you've been working for 30 years uh, to teach people to l- use latrines, and nobody's using them. Uh, why? Why? He said, because people here believe that evil spirits inhabit human waste and they hide in dark corners. So if you build a latrine, you're building a spirit house that nobody will go into. Within a year, I was with that same district health officer on the same mountain. He was beaming. And I don't know if this is true, but this is what he told me. We have 100% compliance. And when I saw that, I knew that what I was seeing was not a a physical intervention, but it was a spiritual understanding. I am made in the image of God, and I'm a steward of resources. And Jesus, by his death on the cross, not only forgave my sins, but he disarmed the principalities and powers and set me free. And that is the knowledge That is the beginning of development. Let me take you to the Hindu world. Alright? Why are Hindus, um, the Dalits who are untouchable? Why are they untouchables? Somebody from India, tell me. They deserve a brighter life. They are living out the karma of a previous life. How do you change that? You see, the Christian faith is, and it's, it's no surprise uh, that the enlightenment and uh, development as we know it began in Christian nations. Because the foundation of development is, I am made in the image of God and I am a steward of resource. I have the capacities to be creative And to work with what God... Have you ever thought about creation this way? What um, Have you thought about what God did not create? He created trees and fruit, but he didn't make a fruit salad or a restaurant. And we can go right on through all the different professions. He put the resources in the ground for us to use... And he didn't make it all for us. Why? Because we are made in the image of God, and stewards of resources. Let me tell you something else about Che that I think you need to know. I have a friend named Terry Dwelly. He is the uh, he is the chief medical officer in North Dakota. Uh, he was the chairman of the board that wrote the test for MPH, for the Masters of Public Health Nationwide. He came to me and said, and in the MPH programs, they teach you uh, all kinds of uh, medical interventions, uh, uh, but what they don't teach you is community organization, local ownership, um, and those are the things that are essential if people are going to take responsibility for their own health. So he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put questions about community organization and mobilization into the test, and every school from Harvard across the country is going to have to teach to it. He tried, but he failed. (laughs) But um, something that I think we have to offer, and something that, uh, uh, that gives you a leg up on everybody else out there that's trying to do public health, is number one, you understand you can't separate the spiritual and the physical. And that health is social, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. It's harmony with God, with myself, with others, and with the environment. And in fact, if you go into the development world, if health is harmony, in the development world, health is the restoration of broken relationships. Poverty really is about broken relationships more than about a lack of resources. And so the long-term solutions on the development side are rebuilding families, uh, rebuilding communities, strengthening communities to work together to solve their, their own problems, having harmony within themselves and the peace to be productive, uh, free from addictions, and things that drag them down. Uh, this is Christian community health. And so we're unapologetic about our name. Our name is Christ- Community Health Evangelism. Jay. Um, and and we, we want people to know that our health as a community and as individuals is uh, inseparable from our relationship to God and the transformation that he works in our heart that works it out, itself out in our relationships with each other. You believe that? Amen. Amen. So a lot of what you would learn in CHE are things you would learn in an MPH, except I have been told I was just with uh, one guy who's teaching Masters of Public Health at Indiana Wesleyan uh, University. Um, and he is one of the strongest advocates for Che. It is his passion. Uh, but some of them will tell you, I learned more in a week of Che training than in three years in an MPH. Uh, what we teach uh, has changed the lives of millions and transformed communities around the world. Uh, I, I went into Liberia uh, thinking there was nothing there and found out that there was one organization that had mobilized 10,000 community health evangelists in Liberia. In Zambia, the, nation, the program is nationwide. They're beginning to use CHE, children's CHE curriculum now in public schools in Zambia. And the government is asking them to take it nationwide. They said, "We wait, you, K through 12, we can't do all that. We'll start with elementary in this location. Let's do a pilot project and let's uh, let's go from there. But uh, we have some tools that I believe God has given us. And the beautiful thing about it is they're yours. Uh, we have not copyrighted anything. Does anybody know anything about our Che Curriculum? You know a little bit. Um, you, you know how many lessons we have? We have lessons that are written for the trainers, for people who go into the community to do the community organization, so that when they encounter a problem in, in the community, when the community identifies a need, they have resources that they can use to teach to that need. Uh, there are more than 8,000 lessons uh, that have been written from around the world these cover everything from agriculture microenterprise development addiction psychology um right on through to women's issues we have a women's cycle of life it started out as a perinatal program for women but then we realized that their biggest issues are uh are related to dignity and uh, it, it, and they needed to be empowered economically and in so many other ways. We have we have modules for disability. We have more than a hundred different manuals. None of it is copyrighted. And if you go through our training, uh, then we give you that in Microsoft Word, so that you can adapt it to your context. And it's a week long. It's a week long seminar. What we teach you in the TOT1, actually, the training happens in three phases. Uh, the first phase we call Training of Trainers 1, and that has to do with um, understanding the core principles of community-based development and and uh, CHE, one of them being integration or holism, the integration of uh, the physical and the spiritual. Um, and then we give you tactics for choosing and entering a community. You go and begin your work, choose your community. Then you come back for the second phase of training, which equips you for training the committee in uh, project cycle management and the chase for their home visits. Um, and then the third phase has to do with multiplication. So we we believe that this is something that can spread. We saw it in the Congo spread from nothing to 700 communities without an increase in budget. Have you seen that anywhere else? Yeah. Um, and we can point to in, in uh, Darjeeling. Who said they were with Shika? How how many ministries do they have up there now? I don't know what the number is. It was above 100 last time I knew. I used to be Sheikah's boss, but I'm not anymore, so I, d- I lost touch. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's something that can spread. So what we're doing with the Million Village Challenge, some of you probably are thinking, uh, you're crazy. You're never going to achieve that. Let me tell you what we're doing with the Million Village Challenge. Um, we are catalyzing transformational movements in villages. We're not doing projects. We're catalyzing movements. And so we believe that if we can have one model village, that it can efficiently and effectively reach out to nine more villages around. Uh, meaning that uh, that success in one village brings a, a cluster of ten into the movement. And each of those nine then become models and reach out to nine more. Um, so... We're adopting in clusters of ten. We're asking nationals, uh, in their countries to adopt villages in clusters of ten. To begin in one and multiply into nine more. So that takes the number down from a million to a hundred thousand, right? Because we're adopting in clusters of ten that we, that we need to get done. Has anybody read the tipping point? Yeah, sociologists say that when you get 10% of a population strongly advocating for a cause, you reach a tipping point. So our tipping point from 100,000 clusters is 10,000 clusters. So what we are seeking to do is to mobilize the church to establish 10,000 model programs in 70 countries inside the 1040 window. Um, we have done mobilization conferences this year, in seven places, and we have um, more than 16,000 villages adopted. And we're expecting to do these 20 of these mobilization conferences next year, 40 more in uh, in 2018. And we're going to see what God does. But we're we're excited about it. I'm supposed to go for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and then open it up for questions. So let me open it up for questions. <laughs> Um, if you go to our website, chainnetwork.org, um, and I don't know if I'm online now, uh, or I would go there. Um, let's see. Let's see if it comes up. Anyway, there's a training tab. And we invite our partners around the world. Uh, to post their training events on our website. And there's a a link beside each training that you can click through to. Uh, So the first place you would go is to the website and look and see if there's a training that fits. If not, click info at chainnetwork.org. Tell us where you're trying to find training. And what we want to do, ideally, is get you trained in the country where you're going to do the work. Here in the U.S., we do 10 or 12 TOT1s in a year. Uh, some of them are done by Marion. Uh, I'm, I mean by Equip in Marion, North Carolina. Fame, is Bill, Bill Warren here? Fame does some. Christian Missionary Fellowship does uh, some out in this area of the country. So there are options. We'll come to you. Yeah. Well, you can talk to us in and we'll create a training for you. We need a minimum of 12 people. But we'd be very happy to come, or arrange for trainers to come, wherever you are. So here's our global training sign-up. And you can see uh, the type of training is listed here. Uh, you can click and email the organizers, or register yourself. Or as Brian says, and Brian is... Uh, the one that keeps me accurate. <laughs> um, as Brian says, we'll come to you if you want to host a, uh, a training event for your organization or in your area. We believe in collaboration and we believe in being impact focused. Part of the problem when we do strategic planning as organizations is we lock ourselves into a box, and the goal becomes achieving our objectives, rather than looking at what is the greatest way to impact. And we find that um, if we're a little broader in our thinking and we're willing to have conversations with people around us who are striving to do the same thing, uh, we can come together around things like the Million Village Challenge that none of us would be able to do alone. And so if we do training for you, what we would ask is that you open it up to other people uh, in the area to come in and learn as well. We can do a vision seminar, which is the start, uh, and we can do that in one or two days, depending on uh, what you want. Next Wednesday or Thursday in Lexington is a vision seminar. I invite all of you to come. And, and that is what? What's the, and the vision seminar? What's included in that? The vision seminar is, um, it works through the principles, which I was going to do today, by the way, uh, but we don't have time. Um, works through the principles that, uh, uh, of CHE and uh, gives you a vision for how and and what is done. Um, and then the training is more tactical. It helps you actually begin doing it. Yes? So I'm trying to understand, you guys provide training? Do you also, do people apply to work with you or volunteer with you in the 1040 window? Or is it both and or... Um, Yes, we have a a service team that serves a network. Our network, let me show you this. Um, In our network, there are members representing about 650 organizations in 126 countries. Um, This morning at our Che Network meeting, uh, a guy shows up and he says, I have a Che program in Mauritania. Um, And I know of one in Morocco. And if you look at the numbers here, Mauritania and Morocco are not included in the 121 countries where we've been able to map CHE programs. So the the answer to your question is, we empower organizations and teams to do CHE ministry in their villages. We're not ascending agency. No. But if, but, but if you have the right skills, you can help us serve those 650 organizations. Yes? Um, I worked for the
1: International Mission Board for 26 and Yeah, months. IMB.
0: Uh, right. So uh, we noticed during the time that we worked with them uh, uh-huh. that there was this pendulum that swung. So for a while, development and um, uh, was on one side, and evangelism was on the other. And right now, we are... Almost permanently planted on the evangelism side because mm-hmm. there's a sense of urgency mm-hmm. uh, that the world is not getting reached. And I, I need an answer. You need an answer? I need an answer. Let me be your answer, all right? <laughs> I'm a church planter by background. I spent a lot of years of my life running around the outside of communities yelling about the forgiveness of sins. People heard me and came and joined me on the periphery, on the margins hated by the community just like I was. When I found Che, the churches we planted became the, the, um, the fountain of transformation in the community. And so I can take you to places where even though people are not Christian and don't attend the church, I would dare you to try to take their church out of their community. Um, the other thing I would tell you is this. I went to the field, and my colleague said to me, if you feed somebody today, they're going to be hungry again tomorrow. If you save their soul today, they're safe forever. And the message to me was, you're not here to do physical things. You're here to preach. And then I came face to face with the poor. And I had never seen poverty like I saw in the Philippines here in the United States. And I began to ask the question, what is my obligation as a Christian to the needs of the poor and what is the obligation of the church to the needs of the poor and you know what I concluded I have to quit choosing which of Christ's commands is most important and find a way to do everything that Jesus commanded it's not for me to prioritize his commands and choose one over the other it's for me to reflect the values of his kingdom in every area of my life and so if I'm not engaged with the community, then my my message becomes a spiritual message about quiet times and about uh, heaven. But that is not Jesus as Lord of every area of life. Right? And so I believe that what we are called to do as Christians, as ambassadors for his kingdom, is to reflect the values of his kingdom by what we say and what we do. And we have to put those together. And this is what I would say to the Southern Baptist leaders. If they were looking me in the eye, the most effective evangelism that you will ever do among the poor is when you bring them Jesus. If you bring them his truth, but don't bring, him, don't bring his touch, have they seen Jesus? Isn't it Jesus we want them to follow? Isn't it true they have to see Jesus in me? And, and they're not going to see Jesus just in a four spiritual laws presentation. They're going to see Jesus in the way I love, and the way I care, and the way I reach out. So what does James say? What is true religion? Yeah. So when Jesus said um, he was going to separate the sheep from the goats, the good guys from the bad guys, What was the criteria? I was hungry and you preached to me. I was thirsty and you preached to me. I was in prison and you preached to me. No, he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Those are the values of the kingdom. That is our Jesus. And until we begin to reflect him in every area of our life, we've truncated the gospel. Pretty harsh term. Yes. There are a whole lot of communities that they, preachers have gone through. They've, been, they've heard the gospel, they've rejected it. Mm-hmm. But if you go and, and you show them Jesus, they'll listen. Uh, I was in uh, France for an urban development conference. Okay. There was representative there, the, the, the founder of an organization called Serve the City, that has ministry in, in 90 cities in Europe. Uh, And they're getting ready to expand outside of Europe into the United States and uh, Asia and uh, other places. Their philosophy of ministry is this. People are attracted to the mission of Jesus before they are attracted to the name. And, And what they mean is, if you invite people to come alongside of you and serve the poor and the marginalized in your city, doing projects together with unbelievers, they're going to fall in love with the mission of Jesus. And you will have an opportunity to introduce them to Him. Amen. Any other questions? <laughs> what time is it, Brian? I haven't got... Did I say 4.30 up there? Four thirty-seven. Four thirty-seven, and and I have a long time to go, don't I? You can teach us <laughs> Okay. Um. Yeah. Do Do you want me to do that, or do you have questions? First, first thing is your questions. And we'll go from there. Yes. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Uh, Yes, we do. We have a welfare state of passive dependence. Um, And the answer is the same, to realize that they are made in the image of God and they are stewards of resources and they're not dependent on outside, but they can do something to improve the quality of their own life. You give them vision, you give them hope, you give them tools, and you can change things for a community. So what we do in North America is called Neighborhood Transformation. You can find it online at uh, neighborhoodtransformation.org org or dot net. Stan Rowland, who did the first Che programs in Uganda in the 80s, retired nine years ago and decided to try to figure out how to do what we had done there here in North America. And so he he calls it Neighborhood Transformation. Um, Same principles, but a whole different set of curricula whole different set of issues that you deal with. And the difference between the urban environment and the rural environment is the rural uh, the rural environment is a true community. In the rural environments they have lived together. They know each other by name. They know which kid belongs to which parent. They know the aunts they know the uncles and there's a sense of a common um history. The problems that have affected this community have affected us all, and there's a sense of a common destiny. And so, what we're doing in villages is just mobilizing the community that already exists. In an urban environment, it's community that breaks down. We're uh, everything instead of. There was a time in America when, if I needed to make a cake, I went to see Sue because she made cakes. And she would help me with it. If I needed to get my tractor fixed, I went to see Joe because he fixed tractors. He was a mechanic. And there was this informal exchange of goods that was part of our survival. But in an urban environment, you're taught to learn a trade and sell your skills. Um, And that the the whole idea of, of an exchange of goods in community is lost in the process. Think about your neighborhood, where you live. Would you describe your neighborhood as a community, like I just described a village? Do you know the names of your neighbors on your right, your left, across the street, behind you? We don't. I come into my garage. I'm as guilty as anybody. I come into my garage, close the garage door, go out in the backyard, sit by the pool, um, Yell hello over my fence at the neighbor, on one side. The neighbor on the other side doesn't even talk to me. Uh, the guy across the street moved back to South Africa, and renters are coming in and out of that house, and I don't, I don't know who they are. Um, and so that is the urban environment, very individualistic um, and transactional. And so the the answer, I I believe. To neighborhood, uh, uh, to neighborhood transformation, to lifting communities out of poverty and disease is rebuilding community. So you have to build community before you can mobilize it. Um, and we do that through a process of asset-based community development. Any heard of, anybody heard of that? Yeah, ABCD. Um, if I if I go to a community and I tell me what your problem, what are your problems? They give me a list of problems. I turn around and show them that list of problems. What do they say to me? Duh! We knew that. <laughs> That's a big list. There's not anything I can do about it, right? But you map their resources and their assets, and you say this community's got um, these institutions and it's got these talents and these skills in people, and we, we have these resources. You have them make a list of resources. You turn around and show it to them. What happens? It empowers them. They can take those resources and create solutions. So we start by mapping assets and then building relationships. And here's where the typical asset-based community development breaks down is uh, we're knowledge vultures. We go in and we map the community and then we take the information back to the academy and we say, oh, look. Look what's in that community. Um, But we don't use that information by... We don't recognize that information belongs to the community. Give it back to them and allow them to use it to build relationships and create solutions. And that's where some of the material that we have will be helpful to you in the process. That was a long answer. Yeah. Any other questions? I don't know. um, I have about eight minutes. And... Um, my computer's been fighting me all day on this thing. Huh. I have a question. Yes. Um, you said there's like 600 organizations that you guys are currently partnering with. Is that correct? There are people from about 650 organizations who have been through our training and are part of our network. yes Do you have a list of them um, if you if you go if you go to chainnetwork.org, you can find a, a list of affiliate organizations there's about sixty six organizations that have formally affiliated with us, and you can find them but c m f is here um, i think uh, here. FAME is here medical Ambassador. ambassadors is here um We have a booth downstairs, and you can get more. Yeah, come talk to us at the booth. There's quite a few here. Uh, Christian Health Service Corps is here. Um, And if you walk around and ask, there will be a lot of people here that know about Jay. Yeah, Uh Yeah, maybe you should address this. Let me just make a comment. Uh, Being a leader in a mission agency, I experienced two different types of leadership in that agency. Mm -hmm the agency itself that makes this difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, CHE is a wonderful program, but the the structure of an individual agency, and I'd like you to address this, uh, if it's uh, military, that is uh, general, colonel, captain, lieutenant, sergeant, and you have to follow all those orders and you have no freedom versus an agency that can empower you. uh, Let's say, uh, let's use the Southern Baptist Uh, if if it's all going to be church planting, will they empower you to church plant in your own way? Yeah. you see what I mean? So go that direction because that's the practical. How are we going to get this done under another agency? Here's where we started. Um, We started at ground level. And we said there are people out there who are working in villages who are struggling to plant a church and don't know how to do it, (laughs) who are struggling to relate to the community and can't break in. They've tried everything there at their wit's end. Those are the people that we want to train and equip. And what has happened historically is we trained at that level and it bubbled up to the top and caught the attention of the leaders. And then they said, okay, we're willing to invest in it. And I think that one of the issues is um, we are not impact focused, not really. We're strategic plan focused. And we don't really set aside resources as institutions for collaboration. Uh, We go to conferences once in a while. But investing in collaboration um, always pays back double. I am a much smarter person because of the relationships I've had with different people. And if we're trying to do the same task in the same place, and we think that we've learned everything and they haven't, they haven't learned anything. We're, we're living in silos. We're missing out on what God wants to do in um, in empowering us to reach that nation. Did that address it? No. I something in. Yeah. There's another Ivy person. Um, one thing I don't want to happen is people assume that there's not freedom to do that stuff within the IMB. It's mean, been mentioned it a couple times. Yeah. Because I'm crying out for people to come do it with me. Yes. <laughs> and so I don't want people to be discouraged from pursuing that particular route, especially if you're Southern Baptist, because there are people doing it and promoting it and networks of people who want to encourage this type of Within attack. the IMB. Yes. I- IMB translated all of our stuff back uh, into Chinese. Yeah. Um, the, there are guys floating around the Middle East where Che has been their strategy. So, yeah, health, net, health network strategists, Yeah. affinity. Yeah. It's not perfect. And I, mm-hmm. There is a lot of work that needs to be done, but I'm excited about the potential. As mm-hmm. And if the people you're working with are only interested in church planting, fine, I'm going to plant a church. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant a church that is connected to the community it's planted in. And it is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Yeah. You'll find there are a lot of communities that aren't willing to let you plant churches or aren't willing to listen to you until you show them Jesus. Yeah. yeah. They fall in love with the mission before they love his name. Some places they'll kill you if you find out about Jesus without yeah. showing them Jesus first. If yeah. you show them Jesus, then they'll say, who's that Jesus you're talking about? Yeah. And we have to be careful when we start to go down that path because um, when our worldview is dichotomized and the mission is evangelism, um, then the social action becomes a carrot on a stick. It's what I use to draw them so they will listen. People will see through that. They'll see through that. And... Um, So it's not a question of using one thing to achieve another. It's a question of the Lord who has sent us, said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. We are to go as he went and to be what he is in those communities. And he is not the four spiritual laws, although I love the four spiritual laws. (laughs) He, he, he is the king of kings and lord of lords uh, and he is concerned about every area of your life. That's a message that resonates I found with a lot of people. Uh, any other questions? All right. I still have some time. If I could get this thing to work. I would. What is jumping out of? I can do this. Here's a fun thing. Uh, Anybody know a man named uh, Ravi Jayakaran? You know Ravi. Ravi started working with us in, in Cambodia. And uh, we fell in love with his 10-seat approach and some of the other things that he teaches. Um, But this holistic worldview analysis um, was life-changing for me. His study of villages um, says that the community uh, has a survival strategy. And in the community, there are some things that they can produce and control themselves. It's a small circle of things, uh, but they can take care of themselves in in that area. So there are resources, there are assets that they have control of. But then there are, in the next circle out, things that they don't control, but somebody else does. And so they get control of those things through trade with outsiders. Uh, But then there's a third circle which Ravi calls vulnerabilities. And your vulnerabilities um, are the things that are not controlled by the community itself that they can't get through trade. And so from their perspective, where do you go? And what Ravi says is, those are the things that they turn over to the spirits and the gods. So, and, and in my experience in villages, it's true. Um, so, they, um, what happens is, uh, they offer a sacrifice to a spirit, an ancestral spirit, or in India, a god of some kind, and they have a good harvest. And that spirit then begins to prove himself to that community, and then the community is pressured um, to continue to offer sacrifice to him, to that spirit. And when somebody doesn't offer sacrifice, and there's a bad harvest, you know you're in trouble. So in in that way, spirits control the life, the living of the people with fear. It's things like health, natural disaster, and and weather and things like that that they turn over to the gods. So here's what Robbie says. Until you begin to to touch their vulnerabilities, you do not transform their worldview. But when you begin to show them that they are made in the image of God and stewards of resources, that there is something that they can do about their vulnerabilities, you turn their worldview on its head. Missiologists say that in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, we have many, many believers um, who are following Jesus, but living day to day, in fear of spirits. I was with a a Christian leader in Liberia. He says, God has power. The spirits have power. And you know what he's saying when he says that? You go to the one that has the power to do what you need done. So if it's the spirit that takes control of our health issues, I go to the spirit uh, to take control of it. So back to the latrines. Remember what I said? Um, They couldn't succeed in getting people to use latrines because evil spirits inhabited human waste and hid in dark corners. So you were building a spirit house that nobody would go into. Nobody in all of my Bible college or seminary education ever told me that a latrine would be an indicator of spiritual growth. (laughs) Do you see it? But when you start to deal with their vulnerabilities, you start to play with their worldview. And you force them to begin to ask some questions about who is in control. And what is it that we want? We want the Lord Jesus to be in control of every aspect of life. If we have a financial need, we want to take it to him in prayer. And we want to look to his word and see what his word says about income generation. Um, if we have a problem with agriculture, we want to take it to the Lord in prayer. And we want to understand that we are made in the image of God and stewards of resources and begin to ask questions about what we might do that would um, add value to our products or that would improve our uh, harvest or things like that. But, you know... Uh, A friend of mine in India talks about a community of Dalits that lived along a river, and the river continued to flood and wipe them out twice a year. And they would rebuild their homes, and then the river would come and wipe them out. Um, And so you go and talk with them, and you ask them All right, you have this river here. Uh, Why don't you divert the water and use it for agriculture? And it could have been easily been done. What's the answer? Why for centuries do they allow the water to wipe out their homes? Because they don't have the understanding that they are stewards of resources. And in fact, the God might be the river. <laughs> and when, when you offend the God by diverting the river, you're making trouble for yourself. So I believe that if we want to do true discipleship in villages, we have to work in the area of their vulnerabilities. And if we don't, we will leave them as people whose hearts are given to Jesus, who saved them for eternity, and they live day to day in fear of evil spirits without any control of their own development and progress. Does that sound like a familiar story for those of you who have been out in the mission field? All right. Hey, I I think we're done. Thank you for (laughs) bearing with our lack of technology here. Hmm.